countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, it is now time for more of the last comic shop! Where we open up the comic shop to newbies so that we can invite them in underneath the comic book tent. Ah, <laughs> there's the bell. And we keep the lights on for the oldies because sometimes we have interesting stuff to read and talk about. And speaking of interesting comic books, we're not doing a DC one this week. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, I'm kidding. Come on. Now. It was nah, four straight weeks of DC. That was fine. It was a great experience. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And as you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've done a lot of great DC books on this show. Uh, trying to catch up on the fact that we didn't read a lot of DC last year. And so, again, we had the Strange Adventures, and we had Jimmy Olsen, and we had Crisis of Infinite Earths, and and, and, and it's time to kind of move on. And uh, given the fact that uh, traditionally, when a comic book-related movie comes out in theaters, such as Morbius... The last comic shop takes it upon ourselves to read some comic book that features that character. Wait, I uh, I, I didn't read any uh, Morbius books. Yeah, I, I didn't know there was a good Morbius book. <laughs> oh, and that's the point. We're not reading a Morbius book. There's not really a ton of good ones. Like the six-armed Spidey? That's the only good one. What are you going to do? Read Midnight Suns? Uh, Maybe Marvel Zombies Volume 4, because it has like the League of Monsters in that, and Morbius plays a part in that. But other than that, you're really... You know, we could have read Jay's favorite, Franken Castle. (laughs) He voted that down. Yes. (laughs) But maybe for Halloween this year, Chad, 2022 is sprawled out in front of us. Lots of comic books (laughs) to cover on the last comic shop for the rest of this year. Maybe we'll get to Frankencastle once October rolls around again. But uh, on today's program, we're actually going to be covering another graphic novel adaptation of a real novel. We're doing 1984 was recently released uh, i think at the end of 2021 in hardback by Fido nesti did all the illustrations based on the original george orwell classic so that's going to be the book today but again because people might have shown up to hear us talk about morbius i think we should give them what they want guys let's talk about this morbius movie that's going to be coming out are we excited i think i'm in the minority most likely I think I'm gonna see it. It 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 looks fun. It's a it's a blade movie without as... without Wesley Snipes. It's yes. Jared Leto. It's true. <laughs> he started out as Joker, now he's Batman. Yes, it's good times. I guess, I guess if you spend too much time being the Joker, eventually you become the Batman. And no, I, I will say that um I'm I'm intrigued about how they're going to weave this movie in to this weird thing that they've got going on where like, hey. We're the MCU, but we're not the MCU. Yeah, that that was my question. Is this an MCU movie or is it MCU adjacent? Is it taking place in the whatever the I forget what Earth MCU Earth is. It's not 616. It's like 1999. A lot of nines. So is this in that in that universe or is it is it like Venom, which is kind of in that universe, but not really? Or is it like New Mutants universe, which exists okay. by itself? I, I mean, I honestly didn't think Venom 
was really in that universe for the longest time. And then they were like, yeah, it kind of sort of is. And I was like, okay. So the, the best answer is we don't know. Maybe we'll know once the movie comes out, which may or may not have answers to these things, but everything's so complicated because you have your Marvel movies and then you have your Spider-Man movies, which are made by Marvel. They're for the Sony want to pretend like they're Marvel movies, but they're not Marvel movies, but maybe they'll let Marvel characters cross over into those movies, but Sony still has the Sony characters that were in the Sony movies that looked like the Marvel movies, and nobody knows. Well, I'm of the opinion nowadays that it's a lot easier for me to digest these other movies and say, okay, these characters, whether I'm watching a Sony movie or the old Fox movies, because the MCU has embraced with things like WandaVision and with What If?, the notion of multiverses now and alternate universes, it's kind of easier to wrap my head around the fact that like, oh, okay, this is just, again, another Marvel universe close to the MCU, you know, maybe a portal opens, maybe these characters fall in one day and you just say, okay, I think it's honestly genius what the MCU is doing and in, in, in kind of incorporating that because it's almost like they've got plausible deniability. They're like, yeah, it's not, but if we want it to, oh, it is. And so they they, go make your movie. We'll watch it. If we like it, then we'll allow you to add this end credit scene. But if you don't, if we don't like it, then no end credit scenes for you, sir. You're going to have to stick with some Bill Sinkevich art. That's right. Deadpool, you count. Wolverine Origins, Deadpool. Ah. Well, that brings up an interesting question. I think other than Deadpool, is there one particular movie that maybe came out of Fox or Sony or whatever that you really feel, no, 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 that kind of belongs at least in the conversation of being like a part of the MCU, or at least maybe some of those characters can fall I feel badly, but this is not a thing I care about. Like everybody gets all up in arms about like, should the Charlie Cox daredevil from the Netflix shows be part of the MCU? Like if he is great, if not, if they want to recast, like the unfortunate fact is we're living in the real world where people get older and like, how long can somebody be a daredevil? Or like, we're talking about Deadpool and like Ryan Reynolds, like no offense. He's a very youthful guy, but he's going to be what in his fifties. If they make another Deadpool. Yeah. Special yeah, effects we, only we, go so far. We can't all be Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. So eventually guys are going to have to age out and get recast. So I'm on board with the multiverse and just, you know, get a different version, you know, James Bond them, recast them. I mean, that's, you know, that's keep it fun. Yeah. That's the reason why there's so many Spider-Mans is simply because Spider-Man, especially for the stories they want to tell in a lot of these movies has to be youth. And uh, yeah, that's the easy answer for me. If, if I was going to, even though it's animated into the Spider-Verse would fit. And still has that same vibe that a lot of the MCU movies have. Plus the fact that they've already introduced multiverses in that movie. It's really easy to me kind of to say like, yeah, you know, those characters could show up in the, in the MCU or, you know, they've got the animated. What if that would be kind of a neat episode to have more Spider-Man show up. Not that it's going to happen because Sony somewhat plays nice with, with Disney, but at the same time, Maybe not. It's kind of a weird thing going on, but that's my pick. If you're into the Spider-Verse, I want to go into the Hulk-Verse. I want to see the uh, Ang Lee Hulk brought into mainstream continuity. And then oh, that's a- the Lou Ferrigno Hulk. And you have all the different Hulks. No, that, yeah, no, I, I, could, I could dig that, especially every single time I see him uh, 
in any anything. It just seems like Mark Ruffalo just seems to be getting older and older. And he does look, he's yeah. like, he's aging out faster than they can make a Hulk movie. So eventually they're going to have to bring in somebody else. Well, he's been through a lot with that uh, Thanos snap and all that other stuff. But you don't even go need to go beyond the MCU. I want to know where Ed Norton is. Ed Norton was my favorite banner. Like he was the yeah. one that seemed the most like uh, Bruce Banner to me from the comics. Yeah, I, would have yeah, I think Ruffalo's banner is sort of like Tony Stark 2.0. Yeah. And Ed Norton's banner was much more coiled tightly. The spring you don't want to touch. Yeah, one you spring. believed him when he was always angry. Well, one thing that's going to probably make you angry is the fact that we're not going to talk about any more MCU on today's program. Oh. Or, I guess, Morbius. It's a movie. <laughs> Go see it. It's got Jared Leto in it. It might be fun, according to Chad. But... Oh, it'll be fun. It's vampires. Who doesn't love Dracula's? <laughs> that's true. One thing that uh, hopefully will not suck your soul uh, is our review of 1984, which is coming up right after these commercial breaks. It is a dark book. And it is the dead of winter for some of us. So no no better time to do this. We'll be right back after these messages. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think, Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shilled for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here. But we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our Read Pile Review. Yes, that time of every single show where we read a comic book this week, and we're going to tell you about it. And in fact, this is a comic book that is an adaptation of a real book. So hold on to your socks, kids. It is now time for some quality literary analysis. Yes. (laughs) If you thought that our show was sometimes boring, guess what? We can always make it worse. And we're going to talk about 1984 on today's program. So hopefully, you know, maybe you're a bunch of high school kids and they just assigned this book for AP English and you've got to read it. We're going to tell you about a comic book that does the job just as well. Pick just it up. as many words in it. Yes, that's right. That's so, true. so pour some coffee if you're at the coffee shop or some tea if you're at high tea or, you know, uh, a couple of gin and tonics if you're at the Algonquin. Because we're going to get into it. That's right. And uh, J.A. is going to tell us who did 1984, if in case you didn't know. So who wrote 1984, J.A.? George Orwell is obviously the the author of the original novel. 1984 came out in 1949. We are reading the graphic novel, which is the graphic representation of the George Orwell novel, as illustrated by 
Fido Nesti. The version we read is the U.S. version came out from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in 2021. It was originally published as 1984 in 2020 in Brazil in the original Portuguese. They don't speak Brazilian? Uh, okay. no. no body hair in their language whatsoever. <laughs> and first published in Great Britain by Penguin Classics as 1984, the graphic novel. That, by the way, is all written out. Everywhere else, 1984 is the Arabic numerals. Our version is the Arabic numerals of 1984. But if you get it in Great Britain, they don't give you the Arabic numerals. No, they give you the written out. N-I-N-E-T-E-N-I-E-I-G-H-T-Y-F-O-U-R. There you go. And I think that is by design because I have actually seen copies of 1984 that would say 1984 on the cover. And then you'd see other copies and it would be written out in 19. So maybe that's a British thing. It might have to do something with like their standards and weights and measures in okay. Britain. Like, you know, you go to Britain and you, if you get a, a beer or a shot of alcohol, it has to be exactly a certain amount or they're breaking the law. Okay. So maybe that's okay. maybe it's the same for books. If you know this interesting factoid and want to share it with us, make sure that you leave some comments. Go out to our Twitter page at, at Last Comic Shop or Instagram. We're barely on that anymore, but Twitter, we're always there. So leave us a comment if you happen to know why they have to write out 1984 on the British versions of these books. And if that's the or case for every do. British version. Part doors. of the metric system. Lots of tens. Of I'm going to keep interrupting Andy and drive him crazy as I talk about decimals and centimeters. Hexagons. Are there hexagons? I don't know. I'm easily confused. What I'm saying is there's a lot of interesting factoids about 1984. And before I got into the 10-cent synopsis about this particular adaptation, I thought that I would school on some of these interesting factoids that I know about 1984. It was a book I first read in AP English back when I was 18 years young. Uh, so many, many decades ago. I, I really did enjoy it quite a lot. It made me want to read other dystopian future novels that were put on around the same time, such as Aldous Huxley's uh, Brave New World, or you can read a really great one that came actually out of the Soviet Union called We by... Gosh, it starts with a Z. Evgeny Zamyatin. Yes. And in fact, uh, I think that both Aldous Huxley and George Orwell were actually in some ways inspired by Wii. So if you like today's book about 1984, go back and read that one because it's kind of like the template for all these other dystopian novels from there. But ultimately, this book was released not too long before uh, George Orwell died. So George Orwell never actually got to see how immensely important this book became to modern fiction. And it is something that has, I mean, again, from the notion of Big Brother, uh, from the notion of Newspeak and uh, thought crime, uh, perpetual war. I mean, again, over the decades since its publication, these have become part of our lexicon of talking about totalitarian regimes and how governments might control certain aspects oh, yeah, of how, life. Yeah, things. or how something is Orwellian in yeah. nature. Uh, before we get to 10 cent synopsis, I, I wanted to have both of you read the original novel before today's program, or was this the first time you've, you, you dove into it? I read it in college because I was bored one weekend, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good way to end that, right? That was it was a good tonic. 
Somebody, it was paperback lying around. I think somebody had had it assigned as a class and they left it in our room. And I was like, oh, pick it up and read it. It so permeates culture that even if you haven't read it, you think like you have because you know parts of it or you know themes that are present in it. Not only if you've read other George Orwell books, but I think just because of, you know, there's so much overlap of that novel into politics and coverage of war and all this stuff that I think it was interesting. I didn't know that 20 years on, I would be rereading it again. And I was going to say, too, I'm the resident English major and the school teacher who has taught George Orwell, specifically Animal Farm. And uh, I remember buying 1984 in college. Uh, I don't think I read it. So, wow! Yeah, I know. Shocking. Uh, this is my first read through, and it's something that, as Jay was saying, it's so pervasive in the culture that you know, you know about Big Brother, you know about Double Speak. But uh, whenever I picked it up, I was like, I don't really recognize this story. After reading this graphic novel, I feel like I have. Oh yes, no. There's no question that uh, again, as I mentioned previously, if you have not read 1984 and you want to read it, pick up the graphic novel because it is more than just an illustrated classics. It pretty much is the same book uh, with pictures. So if it's easier to, <laughs> to digest some pictures, there you go. It's going to be time for the ten cent synopsis. Those people that haven't read 1984, like Chad, <laughs> until today. Again, it's the story of uh, Winston Smith, uh, who works for the Ministry of Truth in the gigantic country called Oceana, which is basically what would happen if the United States absorbed Great Britain and Latin America, basically after an atomic war. So it's kind of like an alternate universe that starts somewhere after World War II. His job is to basically work for the party called INSOC which is basically an abbreviation for English socialism. And he really hates everything that's going on. And he's, he doesn't like uh, the society that he lives in. And eventually he meets this girl named Julia. Uh, they fall in love. Uh, they try to live a normal life as, as, as real people do. But unfortunately, they're both captured by the thought police and imprisoned and forced to uh, renounce their rebellious ways and learn to love the party. That's pretty much the 10 cents synopsis. So there's a lot of stuff happening within that. But yeah, if I, if I told you anything more, you wouldn't read the novel, you wouldn't read the graphic novel, and you'd be horribly depressed. So we're going to save that, given this is still supposed to be something pleasant in terms of a podcast. Well, and, let and- me ask you a question, Andy, as somebody that has definitely read both you're so proud of it. One of the things, whenever it comes to these novels in comic book form, do you think that this is worth being a graphic novel? Does it bring enough from the comic medium to justify uh, its existence? Or is it just a shortened version of the novel, a quicker and easier way to, to get through the work itself? It's a good question, Chad. And I think that, After reading some other comic book adaptations of novels that we've done on this particular program, I can think of two that we did. One was um, Dune House Atreides, which was, you know, again, not as famous. But there's another one that we did, which I think is just as famous in terms of being a sci-fi work, 
1984, and that was the comic book adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five. I think that Slaughterhouse-Five, and if you want to go back and listen to that show, did it a little bit better in terms of incorporating the art to tell more of the story. I'm not going to say that 1984 completely failed in that respect. I think there were some times reading 1984 that it communicated to me that visually the kind of depressing atmosphere that 1984 is supposed to invoke. Again, everybody looks like very gaunt. Everybody looks downtrodden. Everything's in grays and very little color. Uh, But at the same time, there's some really powerful uh, visuals in this. There's a one-page spread where basically the thought police get Winston and Julia. And they're like in this room that used to be their quote-unquote home. And you've got all these police around them. And you've got, you know, broken windows and broken pieces of furniture everywhere. Because it's all kind of like in a white background and you see the room. And I thought that was a, a, a particularly powerful visual. Plus, there's a scene where Winston has the cage full of rats on his face. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's, ter- that's terrifying. You know, and they're climbing up and they're closer to his face and they're closer to his face. And I'm like, yes, that visually tells me how scary that is. Were there points for you guys that you thought some of the visuals worked? I mean, I thought the whole idea of it with, with the, the very muted color palette and the almost forced nine panel construction of every page was was meant to obviously reinforce this idea that there's no joy or humanity or life in in the world of 1984 and everyone is forced into boxes and forced to do certain things i got what he was doing with that but after a hundred pages of that with knowing that I had another hundred pages of the same thing to go, I needed a break from it. I thought, unlike Slaughterhouse Five, which played with the medium more, they didn't do enough in this outside of sort of the visual design to to take the comic medium and explore aspects of the novel. I just thought it was like, oh, we're going to do a muted palette, and, and I'll just make every box kind of you know uniform so that way it has this sort of it it builds up on you as you read it to really force you down and i guess that's what he was trying to do i just have that i think i'm better at constructing that in my mind from the novel than just seeing it forced on me but maybe that's the point of the whole thing so if we're getting meta i don't know i did think it was a bit of a sort of an artist wank here's a guy who who in his life wanted to do a 1984 novelization and got to do it and it, it, it there is a bit of sort of uh it's a bit fan servicey i guess i don't know are there george orwell fans walking around in the world <laughs> i'm sure there are no i i can agree with you there where i feel like if i were the person creating this i could i could see uh see being so proud of what i've done and how you know they really do a great job of encapsulating you know, what I've come to know of the novel, but I also am going to agree that Fido Nesti, while as good as it is, and I don't have any major complaints about the art, and it does hit so many of those drab, lifeless notes that the uh, the story intends to hit. But uh, at the same time, I feel like this needs to be a comic book only for the purpose of making a shorter delivery system. Mm. This is the comic book version of Sparks Notes or Cliff's Notes. 
it's a shortcut. I don't think it's an improvement. Like Andy, you brought up the Slaughterhouse Five, and like I love Kurt Vonnegut. I love the the novel of Slaughterhouse Five. But whenever we read the the graphic novel representation, there were some cool, insightful things that were brought to the table. That I'm like, oh, this is different than the way I thought about it whenever I was reading it. This is really enhancing my experience. And here, I, I don't know that I got that. I thought, you know, this is trying to be artsy in a New Yorker style way, but it's not bringing anything new enough to the table that I'm like, this needed to be a comic book. Well, no, I, I, the problem with, with it is there's never been a good movie adaptation of 1984. It was kind of like Dune for a long time. Where like, I think the best movie adaptation or visual adaptation you can watch is actually a older version that they did for the BBC back in the early 50s starring Peter Cushing. If you can ever find a copy of that, just because Peter Cushing plays Winston Smith and he really does get across a Winston Smith that is at the same time rebellious, but also beaten down. And you really do feel for Winston by the end, but it was on a limited budget. They were doing it over live TV. It was really an extraordinary effort, but they still couldn't do a lot of the visuals. And so I feel like this was the closest I got to getting like a kind of a movie version of 1984, which you're right. You could be one of these people that'd be like, ah, why are you watching the movie? Just read the original book. But for me that likes visual representations of things, um, I think this was the closest I was going to get to it. Go back to the scene with the rats, but like there's a scene right after that where like he denounces Julia and he says, put Julia in my place. And it's again, another one page spread where the words are huge as he's sitting in a small chair and it's followed by a page that you turn the page and he's like falling like mentally forever. He's just basically given up and and he kind of falls back into the same chair. I thought that was pretty striking as a visual and kind of got across like how far this guy had had fallen because of the the torture and the mental anguish that he'd been put through at the hands of of the party. I was just I I don't want to discount that all that, but I I guess I go back to the the novel of 1984, and I don't know if it's as much a satisfying novel as it is a thought exercise. Like I could okay. see having a field day with this in an English classroom. And talking about the thought police and talking about, you know, governmental structures or, you know, how we try to confuse people by saying one thing and then saying the opposite thing and having people try to reconcile the two and, you know, keep them confused and you're, you're set. But I, I think a lot of those things are really fun ideas to talk about. But at the same time, I'm not sure from a, a narrative entertainment aspect if 1984's value is in the story itself or just the world building and the, you know, the what if scenario. Right. Do you, do you talk about the novel or do you talk about the ideas that the novel brings up? And, and that's the more interesting thing. I think sometimes, obviously, you, you know, you can look at societies around the world and, and how in this day and age in England, where this was uh, written and set, you know, you walk around London and you are on camera the entire time. So there are these televisions that are monitoring you if you're out in public spaces in England. At, at, or oh, yeah. China. I mean, when you're an airstrip one. I See, I, I, I will kind of disagree on that in the fact that 
My question to you is, is 1984 not a satisfying narrative because it's so depressing? Like, I, I'm not going to lie. This is one of the most depressing books you could ever read because, spoiler alert, like Winston, he's your audience surrogate. He's the guy you're supposed to be connecting with. He ends up being destroyed by the end and is a mind-washed mess that ends up crying over the fact that he loves Big Brother so much. And I, I remember that touching me back when I originally read the novel. And it again touched me this week when I read this book. I was like, oh my God, like, I remember why I put this book down and walked away from it because like it's depressing as hell. But I think there's a merit in having stories like that. They're not pleasant to read, but I think you need to read them. I mean, even from an artistic perspective in a comic book, like it's important to see these things visually. What's your thought on that? I mean, if you're talking, if you're asking the question whether it's okay to read depressing novels, I mean, I studied Russian literature. There's a whole, <laughs> the whole genre is depressing. I mean, that's, just that's what that up, is. Pick up any Dostoevsky book, and you're, you know, going through the gulag essentially of human emotion. I mean, I don't have the problem with the plot and the story of 1984 being a comic book or, or being a novel. I just think that this representation of the novel in the comic book didn't work as well. And I don't think it has anything to do with the story itself or the plot. I just think it has to do with the decisions made by Fido Nesti. And, you know, to your point of that couple, you know, single page spreads, I could have used more of that. I could have used more and I get what he was trying to do. I just thought he almost sacrificed telling a more interesting version of 1984 for sort of his, okay, I'm going to be structured. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, it's got to follow this pattern. So it sucks you in and depresses you. I don't think you need to be depressed to read a depressing book. Yeah, no, to, I, I think I agree with you. It doesn't just because it's depressing doesn't mean that it's not a story worth telling, but I do think as a story, the merits are, are less narrative based and like, there are moments for, you know, powerful emotional impact. And I don't think Fido Nesty did a poor job. I just, as I look at it, I don't know if it was a necessary job. The fact that this exists doesn't bother me. But at the same time, I don't feel like it adds anything to comic books, nor does it add anything to 1984 that would be better than what you would get just reading the novel. This book. Uh, not only did it not have fun with things, it didn't elevate. Yes. Is, is, yeah. is what I'm looking for. I think you've nailed it there. Like if somebody asked me, oh, I want to read 1984. It's not like I'm going to say, oh, you know, don't read the book, read the graphic novel. It's so much better. It elevates the story. I'm just going to say, well, you could take one or the other. Which one do you prefer? You know, I, I guess the example I would say is like somebody says, oh, I'm really interested in 2001, A Space Odyssey. No one is ever going to say, read the novel. Everyone is going to say, watch the movie, because the movie so transcends the book. The, the fact that the book was actually written after the movie based on the screenplay, whatever. <laughs> That's a, a, an example of uh, the medium transcending the message. And here, I think the message is so omnipresent and so powerful that Fido Nesti was so adherent to the message that it doesn't transcend the medium. 
Well, we will get into a little bit more discussion right after these commercial breaks of 1984 with our rating section. So what did we actually rate this interesting experiment in comic book adaptation? We'll see. Stay tuned. Do your hobbies include comic books, movies, television, and or video games? Are you always behind with the latest news in the world of nerd? Well, look no further than The Oblivion Bar, a nerd culture podcast. Hosted by Chris Hacker and Aaron Knowles, The Oblivion Bar offers a weekly review of all the latest breaking news, in-depth discussions far beyond whether Han shot first, and newsletter section, where you, the listener, send in your questions to be answered live on the show. New episodes every Monday, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. I'm just so so freaking excited! You can also find us on Twitter, at OblivionBarPod. Come join us at the Oblivion Bar Podcast. Hope to see you there. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings. Uh, Did this story, written in 1948, published in 1949, about 1984, still hold up in 2022? We're going to put a a one out of four scale on this. And J.A., what is our one out of four scale for this week? So this is a, a very Orwellian one out of four. And in, in Newspeak terms, we're going with one, ungood, two, good, three, plus good, four, double plus good. Oh, I like it. So you're not getting numbers today. You're getting some Newspeak. We're going to be all good in sock followers on today's program. So we're going to start off with Chad, given the fact that, you know, he had not read 1984 before, but he had read this. So what is your rating? I'm going to go half plus good. Can we do that? Do they have fractions? <laughs> so half plus good would be like between good and plus good. That would be like goodish. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking like a 2.5 in numerical terms if, if we're still using numbers here. I enjoy thinking about some of those Orwellian concepts. I, I go back to Animal Farm. I think one of the reasons why this book was so darn depressing is also the, the climate that we live in today. And I'm really glad that we didn't get into a lot of, of current politics because that's where I would get myself into trouble with a lot of people. But there's so many ideas that are brought up in this in this work and so many Orwellian concepts. And when you compare it to what's going on today, uh, this is where I get into trouble. That part w- w- was interesting, but as I've been harping on, I don't think this elevates the medium. I think it's a fine substitute, although I, I don't know if I would recommend this over the novel. I mean, if you're going to read 1984, you might as well read the novel and do it you know, the right way. All right, J.A., what's, what, what are you giving it this week? I have to agree with Chad. Um, I would recommend this to someone who's a big George Orwell fan and has read the novel and... Uh, wanted to see how other people interpret the novel or, you know, in uh, some sort of AP English, well, no AP English, you should read the novel. So this would be like a college level course where you've read the novel and now you want to look at interpretations of media or something like that. I'm going to give it a good, it, it was a bit too fan service for me. If there is such a thing as George Orwell fan service, uh, it did feel like this guy is big into his New Yorker. It's something that's bordering pretentious. Um, and not even, not fun pretentious either, just pretentious. Anyway, yes. go ahead. Yes. 
Yeah, it would be like you're in one of those um, literary circles and somebody pecks up. Well, have you read it in the original graphic novel form like I have? You haven't truly lived until you have, you know. Well, I think that I am going to give it a plus good. I think I'm going to go a little bit higher, not only because I'm a fan of the original George L. Orwell book, but simply because, I mean, it is wordy. Don't get me wrong. They, he, he, there's a lot of words in this. And the pictures at some times are a little bit boring, but I think that's part of the themes that he was getting across in the book. It's supposed to be boring because 1984 is supposed to invoke uh, a feeling of suffocatingly structured and rigid. And, and, and so I get what Jay was saying that for some folks, I could be like, oh no, like it, it's become so boring that it goes somewhere else and it becomes not pleasant. And I don't think it goes that far. I see what he was doing with this. And, and I'm one of those guys that like, again, I like reading books, but I don't like reading books. That's the way I am. That's why I'm on a comic book podcast and not a novel podcast. I like visual mediums. I like movies. Uh, I even like audio books because I like the Yeah, I was going to say, let, let's not get into your whole audio books or reading books. What I'm saying is I like when audiobooks are done well because I like the intonations, the voices that the, the narrators would do because it adds an artistic feel to it, something more than just the printed word. And I do think that the 1984 comic book adaptation we read today adds a little bit more than just a retelling of the story. It adds some artistic flair. There are some really good visuals in this book uh, that help tell the story I'm always reminded of, again, not only the horrible scenes once he goes to the Ministry of Love and he gets tortured and everything, but I like the scenes with uh, Julia and Winston when they just have their small little world and how you see like Winston become a little more healthy as he lives more of a normal life with Julia and to have that destroyed by the thought police, it was, it was heartbreaking. And so like, whether that's because in the original book, it's heartbreaking or because some of the visuals added to that feeling, I, I'd like to think that some of the visuals added. So I, I can't disagree with both of you that I would probably recommend first somebody read the novel. But then after they've done that, you know, a couple years later, I would say, hey, if you've read 1984, you can read the comic book adaptation. I'm sure that you're going to get a little bit more out of it because, again, there isn't really a good movie. So if you want some sort of visual representation of it, here it is. And it's plus good so anyways hopefully things that you think are double plus good are recommendations uh, so these are other comic books in addition to the uh, comic book adaptation of 1984 that you can get a local comic book shop today yes we like to recommend something similar something new or relatively recent and something a bit out of left field so um i'm gonna go with something that is currently timeless this yeah, that's very current. It's kind of related to, but uh, and that is DC New Frontier, which is currently available on Comicsology Unlimited. So if you have an unlimited account, you can download it and read it at your pleasure. It is by Darwin Cook, who did the Catwoman Selena's Big Score series. And it essentially looks at the Silver Age of DC, starting in the 1950s. So the Golden Age is done. The heroes are gone. The Cold War has started. 
and age of superheroes has been in decline, but where will the heroes of tomorrow come from? And so you start to see sort of the dawning of the Silver Age in DC. So, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, you get a eager newcomer test pilot named Al Jordan and this weird scientist called Barry Allen. So, you know, uh, how they become the next generation of crime fighters. And it's all told through the prism of the 50s and the Cold War. And so uh, it's not unlike what we just read, you know, so you're looking back and you're kind of looking at history, but, you know, it's not so depressing. (laughs) Yeah, that part's nice. Yeah, no, that definitely yes. is a timeless classic. I'm a big fan. Yeah, and uh, I should say also uh, Dave Stewart uh, also participated in it. beautiful art too. I love that sort of homage 1950s style artwork as well. Right, that Alex Toth. You know, whether you 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 love Darwin Cook or nowadays with Doc Shaner. I know we talked about Doc Shaner when we did Strange Adventures a couple of weeks ago. But anybody that comes out of that cartoony Alex Toth kind of it's it's the bee's knees for me and Chad. So uh, I know that we reviewed New Frontier on a previous show, and both of us really enjoyed it quite a lot. I especially like uh, the Martian Manhunter story in New Frontier. Oh, when he's watching I think TV, it's extremely interesting. Yes, and he turns into the different characters. Like he turns into Bugs Bunny, and he turns into Groucho Marx. Plus, they have an animated version of New Frontier uh, available on HBO Max. Uh, so if you want to watch an animated version more than even the comic book you can watch that too there you go all right well i'll go next and mine i'm gonna go with something related in terms of you could look at 1984 as as in most orwellian stuff as sort of a social satire uh you know commenting on the the big issues of the day and so satire is fun and one of the things I stumbled into uh, last year was at my local Ollie's. We don't have an Ollie's. It's a. It's like discount Kmart, if there is such a thing. For sure, yeah. They've got good stuff cheap is their motto there. Uh, I'm a big fan. Great place to pick up some inexpensive graphic novels. But one day I stumbled across Mad's Original Idiots. Uh, there are three different collections. Uh, and what they have that's you know the old uh, humor in a jugular vein, but it has uh, there's a Wally Wood collection, there's a Jack Davis collection, and a Will Elder collection. And what they contain are materials from the first 23 issues of Mad. We know it as Mad Magazine today, but it was you know a comic book back before it shifted into magazine mode. And there's some beautiful work in there. And unlike 1984, it is not so depressing all the time. And has a little bit of extra color. Uh, the stories are much shorter. So you're not looking at it and be like, oh, I have a hundred more pages. Like, no, four pages and I'm on to the next story. So you get your, your satire needs met. You explore some classic themes. You get to see Wally Wood, Super Duper Man, uh, all sorts of fun stuff in there. But each collection, they were originally retailed at uh, around $15 a piece. But they are out there at some of those discount chains. So Wally Wood, Jack Davis, Will Elder, uh, they're fun to have on hand and, and a much more pleasant way to get your satire. Oh, there you go. Plus, talking about awesome artists. We talked about Darwin Cook. Now we're talking about Wally Wood and Jack Davis. All of those guys are just legendary in terms of their art styles, especially Wally. I love Wally Wood art. 
And even though he was doing humor with Mad, it's still really good. And so I would highly recommend you check that out. Another thing that you should check out is in case uh, you thought that Winston Smith uh, being crushed by his dystopian society in 1984 was too dark for you. Let's talk about a character that escapes his dystopian society and ends up becoming quite the superhero. And the one we're going to be talking about for my recommendation is the original six-part Longshot. So if you don't know who Longshot is, he's by far, I think, in my top five favorite X-Men, even though he's not an X-Men. Can can he be in the top top five five if he only has four fingers? (laughs) Give me four, Longshot. Good question. He's one of my favorites. Uh, You may know him uh, by all of the wonderful artwork that you might have seen over the years by Art Adams. Uh, Again, talking about great artists, Art Adams is the reason you have Image Comics. Because honestly, Art Adams came up with the same style that was taken by Rob Liefeld and Tom McFarlane. I think Chad mentioned it, like basically what they were trying to do when those Image guys came in, they were like, we're going to do Art Adams stuff every single month as opposed to like one book every two years like art adams would do right yeah on um, Liefeld's podcast he's like you get two art adams books a year we're gonna do art adams all the time so they did more pouches they did spaghetti webbing they took all that stuff from people like art adams and michael gold anyway right. keep going but uh not only do you get this fantastic art adams uh artwork in the six issue long story but you also get some really good writing by Ann Nacenti. I know we've talked about Ann Nacenti on this particular program, and it's one of Chad's favorites uh, from that Daredevil run when we talked about, you know, him going into hell and fighting Mephisto, which actually was supposed to be a long shot story. Did you know it was supposed to be the follow-up to this six-issue arc, eventually long shot fighting the devil or Mephisto or whatever, but she ended up not doing another long shot. He was absorbed by the X-Men, and she ended up transforming it into a daredevil and story instead but the reason why it works so well is because anna senti really didn't read a lot of superhero books before she became a comic book writer she didn't so she kind of came in with a blank slate of what she wanted to tell and she thought it was be super interesting to do a, a guy that didn't know who he was and came out of some other alternate universe and had luck powers and just play with a lot of tropes again you got mojo that's setting up like it's kind of a commentary on uh, violent television and things like that. It's just interesting stuff throughout. And when you when you marry that with just gorgeous, gorgeous artwork by by Art Adams, it just was revolutionary at the time. And nobody wanted to touch this. Like they gave it to Art Adams because nobody else wanted to do it. And Art Adams was an up and comer. And they're like, "Hey, give it to him. Like, what's what's he going to do? And he's going to make something great." And so, uh, again, I can't recommend it enough. If it sounds like I'm gushing and all over the place, it's because I am. And this book is all over the place. It's sometimes a little bit difficult to read because she's throwing so many different ideas out at you. Like Longshot steals diamonds and then he gets punched by She-Hulk. And then like Spider-Man shows up for a little bit. And then like Doctor Strange is in there for a little while. And, 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 and there's like this dog, this thing called Pup that like is absorbing magical energy. It's all over the place, but it all works. And you really should read it, especially if you're a fan of stuff from the 90s. If you like all the artwork that came out of the image, guys, you owe yourself to read the original Art Adams because you will be blown away at how many ideas they ripped off wholesale. <laughs> 
<laughs> they were good ideas. You need pouches for all your stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. You don't want to keep knives in your boot. You need a pouch to keep your knives in. Come on. That's the way it works. <laughs> hey, pouches transcended the comic medium. Everyone was walking around in cargo shorts and cargo pants at that time. Come on. I, I still am. I'm a dad. Those are my, that, that's like standard dad attire in the summertime. That's right. Any case, some, what I also hope is standard attire for all of our listeners is some sort of device that you can listen to the glass comic shop every single week, whether it is uh, one of those like Alexa players or whether it's a, uh, a mobile phone or wherever, make sure that you listen to us every single week. And you can do that by rate reviewing and subscribing to a variety of podcasting platforms. And a good place to find all of them is www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Terrific place where you can find our links to Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Pandora and YouTube and Spotify and Amazon Podcasts and a variety of other places. So it's a one-stop shop. And if you like what we're laying down, make sure you leave us a five-star review. We love those kind words, especially here in 2022. We're hoping to push forward with more and more books every single week. And it really would be helpful to hear some good things so that we don't become so depressed about the work that we're doing. After all this depressing 1984 stuff, it would really help. Anyway, you can also find links to our social accounts like Twitter and Instagram, where you could uh, search us at at Last Comic Shop on Facebook at the At Last Comic Shop podcast. But once you're back on that lastcomicshoppodcast.com, you can find all sorts of other things as well, including links to what, J.A.? Oh, links to our merchandise store. Well, we might not have drab overcoats or sashes. There is a chance that we might be having uh, some trench coats and pouch-worthy accessories. <laughs> Should you need a Last Comic Shop coffee mug, Last Comic Shop t-shirt, and a variety of other Last Comic Shop branded merch for your podcasting family, come check it out. There you go. And while we may be the last comic shop podcast, we hope that we don't end up being the last comic shop. So we encourage everybody to go out to your local comic shop and find some cool stuff out there. Perhaps they have a copy of the 1984 graphic novel on the shelves. Maybe they have new frontier, that classic from Darwin cook. Maybe they have speaking of classics, the Mads original idiots like Wally Wood or Jack Davis or Will Elder, or maybe they have, that classic Ann Nascenti Art Adams long shot story waiting for you in their back issues. If you need help finding a comic shop, you can always go to the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com and they will help you out there. All right. And until next week, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined as always by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And we hope you come back to the last comic shop. Until then, stay safe, stay sheltered, and remember... If they put Nicolas Cage in that room 101 and gave him his greatest fears, it wouldn't be a cage of rats put on his face. No, no. It would be a cage of bees. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! The last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.